welcome to episode 63 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. We're here today with our normal cast of characters, Pastor John Payne and Dr. Gabriel Williams. Uh, I'm Ross Hodges. We're glad you're with us today. And uh, for this episode, we want to discuss the wonderful and yet, uh, we think, probably somewhat neglected topic of the Westminster Larger Catechism. And if you're asking yourself, what is the Westminster Larger Catechism, you're probably in good company because uh, if you went up on the street and offered someone $10 to tell you what it was, chances <laughs> are you would keep your $10. <laughs> so brothers, today we want to discuss this wonderful document, and it is uh, something we have just started using for our Sunday School Hour at Christ Church. And so first of all, uh, John, can you give us just a little bit of background on the Larger Catechism and uh, just even just a quick sketch of what a catechism is? Sure. Um, catechesis, um, which my wife, when we first were married, said it sounded like some term of, uh, term of torture. For a cat? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're going to catechize your kids? What is that? Uh, um, but it, it, it comes from uh, the Greek uh, to echo back, uh, and echoing back. Uh, it is, it's, it's a question and answer form of pedagogy, of, of, of instruction. So the teacher or the parent or the pastor asking a doctrinal question and then the student answering. And in this case, both question and answer are set forth there in the pages of, of the catechism. And so to... To catechize is to instruct using this uh, question and answer uh, format. And it's very helpful because when you do this over and over with your children as they're growing up, you are instilling in them uh, right doctrine. You are <clears throat> teaching them how to think rightly about the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And uh, you are also, of course, giving them proper theological categories, which is one of the main problems, I think, with uh, broad evangelical teaching today because there's no real confession and no uh, strong systematic theology being taught. Christians just don't really know. Um, they don't have hooks to hang things on, as it were, when they think about different parts of Scripture. Sure. So this gives us theological categories and grids and, uh, and helps to remind us and our children that... Uh, our knowledge of God is not a free-for-all. We, we get it from Scripture, and of course the catechisms are, are all the teaching of Scripture. Uh, some might object to catechesis or confessions, and how do, we, how, do we how do we respond to that? They say, well, I just have the Bible. I don't need these catechisms. What would be the response? <laughs> the, the simple response is, well, one, uh, the Bible isn't like a phone book in a sense that you just turn to, all right, the doctrine justification, turn to this page, and just go to that particular page. Uh, oftentimes when people come to the Bible and they kind of approach it from a standpoint of just pick it up, read it, no real kind of uh, theological lens, often you conflate and begin confusing categories. What a good catechism is meant to do it's meant to essentially organize, distill, and to properly out, properly promote what the scripture teaches about a particular topic. And what makes a catechism different than, say, normal pedagogical tools is that presumably when the question is being asked, you actually have an answer that can be memorized and discussed. And so even just in kind of modern education sort of techniques here, 
the ability for a person to be able to give a coherent, clear answer to a directed question illustrates they have accomplished at least the first couple of stages of learning. The memorization stage, which means before you actually understand the thing fully, you need to actually have some kind of knowledge base there. And second, once you begin to really go into the the way in which the catechism formulates the answer, you begin to deepen your understanding of something. And so examples of the example of this is pretty obvious and clear if you go through the large catechism. Like for instance, when you talk about justification and sanctification, mm-hmm. note that there are terms used that are different to make sure the distinction is clear. A work of grace versus an act of grace, things of that nature. And so on one end, uh, it is true the Bible is the only sufficient and fallible rule of faith for the believer. Amen. No one is contradicting that. All the Catholic is trying to say is, what do the what does the Bible actually teach? What do you understand yeah. the full counsel of God to be? Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. two two people could say, I believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. The next question is, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, Muslims believe in Jesus, Mormons believe in Jesus, Christ. Jews believe in Jesus, and Christians believe in Jesus. Some atheists believe in and Jesus. Some, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. They believe in some he way, existed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, so you need to tease out these definitions. You have to say, what do you believe about it? And that's gonna it's a good you know, follow up question. Someone says, well, why do you need catechisms? I just believe the Bible. And then you say, well, what do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe it teaches? And as soon as they begin expounding upon that, they're creating their own sort of catechism or confession. Right. And we, um, to, to use uh, Carl Truman's statement on this, that we just want to have a catechism and a confession that are actually written down, that you can test it, you can compare it to Scripture and that yes. sort of thing. That's what we do. Yeah. Everybody has a confession. It's just whether or not it's written down and testable. And everyone systematizes the Bible in some way. Yeah. The question is, is it a consistent way of systematizing or is it just a bunch of random things thrown together? You yeah. hope that sticks together. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So we've touched upon um, a little bit um, regarding the the reason for a catechism, what a catechism is, but let's think for a few minutes about the historical context of the larger catechism. Uh, sure, yeah. It's important to to know uh, where it has come from, and um, the Westminster Catechism is uh, one part of the what we call the Westminster Standards, which were written in the 1640s uh, during the English Civil War, uh, where Charles I and his Royalist army were at war with Oliver Cromwell and the English Parliament, <clears throat> and and this in large part for religious uh, reasons. And it was uh, during this this bloody uh, English Civil War that this ecclesiastical assembly was called by the Parliament in order to to come up with a confession and to bring uh, unity to England and Scotland and Ireland, religious unity. Uh, this uh, this assembly was mostly uh, made up of uh, Puritan pastor uh, scholars, theologians uh, from all around England, but they were uh, important representatives from uh, from Scotland as well. Uh, it was constituted of thirty uh, laymen and one hundred and twenty one pastor theologians who were from different uh, theological traditions. Uh, some were Episcopalians, some Presbyterians, some Congregationalists, some Erastians, um, and uh, and the bulk of the work took place between 1643 and 1649. Although they still did some work, um, particularly ordinations, uh, all the way till 1652. 
Uh, interestingly, uh, the work on, on a new catechism for these uh, uh, for England, Scotland, and Ireland uh, began right away in 1643, and there were five well-known catechists, uh, pastors who were well-known for writing catechisms. They were they were commissioners to the assembly. One of them was named Herbert uh, Palmer, and um, he was noted by some as the most uh, well-known and uh, gifted catechist in all of England. And, um, and he, along with the others, presented the catechism to the Parliament uh, in May of 1645. But the Assembly, uh, they were not pleased with the, the way that the catechism was formatted. And so a new committee was formed, uh, with Palmer still serving as a chairman. And... Uh, and there were a lot of disagreements over what, uh, what should and should not be in the catechisms as well as what the format should be. And so after nearly uh, four years of work, uh, this is a good Presbyterian committee here, <laughs> after nearly four <laughs> years of work, they, they scrapped their, their, their catechism they were working on and decided to go in a different direction. And that is to produce two catechisms, a, a, a catechism for children and a catechism for the more mature and for congregations. Um, the Scottish commissioners believed that the two catechisms were necessary because, as one said, you can't serve both milk and meat in the same dish. Uh, so that was their, 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 their thoughts. Uh, one catechism, they said, would be, quote, more exact and comprehensive, and the other more easy and short for beginners. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting, isn't it, is that when you look at the Shorter Catechism in light of the kind of superficial things that are being taught today, mm-hmm. it's actually tremendously rich uh, theologically and a lot of depth. Um, but but the, the uh, members of the Westminster Divine saw this as easy and, mm. and short for, for beginning uh, the Christian life. Um, interestingly, there were other catechisms um, in England during this time. Uh, there were actually over 500 catechisms uh, produced between 1570 and 1660. Mm. So every prince of their realm um, in the days of the Reformation and post-Reformation, they wanted these tools to be able to see their people discipled, and so they would often commissioned theologians and pastors to write catechisms for their particular realm. We have uh, one famous one, of course, is the Heidelberg Catechism mm-hmm. uh, that was written for uh, the Palatinate um, and, of course, has, has spread in influence and, and popularity. Um, so uh, this is the background on, on the, uh, the catechism and um, the, the, the shorter catechism being written mainly for children and new believers and the larger catechism being written mainly uh, for uh, the church. So we don't think this is just something that should be stuck in the 1640s. Uh, we think that it was, uh, of course, a, a very uh, thoroughly uh, worked statement of faith. Uh, they Obviously, they spent a, a long time on this, and um, we, we don't want to be guilty of the what's been called chronological snobbery, where we think if it's old, it's probably not very good. Uh, I think in our case, it's quite the opposite uh, with this, where we think, well, it's, it has stood the test of time. It, you know, it has stood the examination 
of the scriptures and of the church over the years. So, so we find it to be a very helpful tool uh, for our people even today and the various versions of it. We, we even have a, a children's catechism. But of course, the shorter catechism was originally supposed to be a children's catechism, but uh, where we are today, the, ch- the shorter catechism is actually what uh, most uh, Reformed Christians are trying to be particularly familiar with, and even it's mm. used in ordination exams for ministers and that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, w- why why are we taking the time to dive into the larger catechism for our congregation? Well, the larger catechism, it's, is ex- it's more extensive. Uh, it's, uh, it deals in particular... Um, more extensively with the, the means of grace, mm-hmm. with the, the word sacraments and prayer. And so with these means of grace be, being at the very center of the piety of the church, or they should be anyway, uh, lots and lots of questions and answers on the nature of the preaching of, of, of the word of God, uh, how to listen well to sermons, for instance. Uh, sacraments, uh, how do we approach the Lord's table? What kinds of things ought we to be thinking about when we go to the Lord's table? Uh, baptism, uh, what does it mean to, to remember your baptism, for instance, is one of the famous questions and answers of the larger catechism. Uh, how, is, how does baptism continue to be a means of grace in our lives as believers? Is it just something that happens a long time ago and you just forget about it? It was a nice day and you had a nice brunch after church? Or is it something that every day you are to remember its nature and its meaning and to draw strength and blessing from it by the Spirit um, as, a, as a mark uh, and a means of grace. <clears throat> so the larger catechism just goes into more depth and is a wonderful discipleship tool mm-hmm. for the corporate church um, as we learn together what it means uh, to know God and to, to walk with Him. Um, John Murray uh, wrote that uh, he believes it, it is to the discontinuance of this practice of catechizing that we can trace much of the doctrinal ignorance, confusion, and instability so characteristic of modern Christianity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have to agree with mm-hmm. him. Um, our, our children who are learning the catechism are learning more doctrine mm-hmm. than most adults in, in most evangelical churches today. I, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. I think one of the things that comes out from a good, faithful study of the larger catechism and also the Heidelberg catechism is you get to understand, in a real sense, how Christians have thought historically about the actual scriptures. One of the things we, you know, we teach kids, and if you go to the book of Proverbs, is that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety and wisdom. Oftentimes today, the opposite opinion is basically being promoted that you can kind of figure out the core essence and the important core essence of the Christian faith just kind of independently. It's not there's not a lot of you can say credence that goes to simply stating that it's good to actually have a document that was argued about for years that had multiple ministers disagreeing debating and conflicting with each other to come to a consensus. Mm -hmm. That sort of uh, process of thinking through, debating, uh, contesting various sort of truths, contesting how things are worded, 
that's not just an academic exercise. It's for the edification of the church. It's for the purpose of saying that if the topic is worth debating over, then it must be important in essence. Yes. And one of the things that larger catechism basically gives you, it's a document that you know historically was thoroughly debated, much time was spent, much resources was spent mm-hmm. upon it. Uh, ministers took much time of their own uh, kind of pastoral work to actually work upon this in assemblies. And what you get out of this is a broad overview of what is actually important. And if you look at a lot of Christian churches today, if you just ask them very basic doctrinal questions about the Trinity, Christology, salvation, you're often getting heretical answers. Yeah. Or blank them. stares. Or blank yeah. stares. Yeah. Or even worse is, why is that important? Which is the worst answer of yeah. all the answers. Yeah. And so I think in terms of my own, uh, I guess, personal study of it, when I was becoming Reformed, the first thing I went to was the Catechism because presumably the Catechism was meant to teach you what were meant to be Reformed. Mm. And having a document that you can sift through, highlights, ask questions on the wording, that's how you actually understand the actual doctrinal teachings of Scripture. You don't understand it by just simply sitting back, you hear something, okay, I agree, and you move on. It's the detailed and precision of the document that actually is for your own uh, benefit. I mentioned earlier that the uh, the etymology of the word uh, catechesis or catechism, catechizing, comes from the Greek katecheo, and you hear in the last part of that uh, word uh, echo, mm-hmm. uh, um, kata meaning down and uh, echo, echo to sound forth, and so it's a, it's a parent or a teacher speaking the catechism, and then the the echo and the response of the of the child, or if it's a pastor with a congregant with the with the congregant. <clears throat> Proverbs twenty two six says, "Train up a child in the way he should go; even when he is old, he will not depart from it." Some people mm-hmm. like to say. Or they, they object and they say, well, you know, kids can't understand what you're, <laughs> you're, you're teaching this four-year-old about justification. Like, you know, these are abstract concepts. This is difficult stuff. Like, why are you, why are you having them memorize this stuff? Um, I mean, I guess the same thing could be said about why would you have them memorize scripture, right? Mm. It's the same concept. And the reason we have our children memorize uh, the catechisms, and while we want our adults to learn well the, the, the catechisms, is because it's like furniture going into our, our minds. Mm-hmm. And even if our child uh, is not completely understanding them at the time, the furniture is in place, the categories are in place, the vocabulary and the language is, is being... Uh, uh, put in their minds so that one day and, and over many days and weeks and years as the Spirit of God is working in them and through them they're, as they're hearing sermons as they're hearing conversations they actually have categories for these yeah. these doctrines and it, it, uh, it, it I mean and everybody nobody's a blank slate right mm-hmm. most kids are getting catechized in video games Mm-hmm. and uh, Dora the Explorer and uh, <laughs> uh, I guess that's probably too old now but uh, whatever new shows are on and and uh, not that those things are bad enough themselves but you know most parenting that goes on in the world today is is babysitting by technology 
Well, they're getting catechized. It's just in those things. Yeah, and when it comes to the church, in the, the broader Christian church today, and perhaps even many in Reformed circles, the whole philosophy of youth ministry has been mm. one that has moved to entertainment, children's and youth ministry. And so essentially you want to give the kids something that will entertain them and, and make them interested. And doctrine is not that thing that most people think. And so children are, quote-unquote, graduating youth group and heading off to college and there's been some uh, very interesting and depressing studies that have come out in the last decade uh, that show that uh, so-called evangelical families, uh, their children are leaving the church upon graduation of high school. They're essentially graduating church and not going back. And, uh, it, I mean, that's in extraordinary rates, um, I think in the 80-plus yeah. percentile. So eight or, or more out of ten children from evangelical households or abandoning the faith in, uh, you know, once they're out of the home. And one of these studies by uh, a Notre Dame researcher by the name of Christian Smith uh, found out that what these kids have essentially been catechized in is a complete lack of doctrine, that they, they cannot explain basic Christianity and what their version of it is what what he what Smith called uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, where essentially you just kind of you want to be good because it's good for you, and there's a God that kind of maybe cares about it, but you just it's all sort of to be happy. So it's be be nice, be nice to other people, and that's about the essence yeah, of Christianity. Go to the Lord when you're having problems. Yeah, exactly. Go to go to the Lord, go to church when you're having problems, and and that is that is the that is the normal catechesis of the church today for our children. We we don't want that. I think we can say some other things, and this is going to probably be a little more sharp here. But um, as parents, mm. there are lots of things we force our kids to do we clearly know yes. they don't want to do, right? <laughs> like school, 90% school. of things we yeah. force them to do? Yeah, school, for instance. Chores. And chores. Bedtime. Uh, I, I think of myself. Peace. I was forced to play the saxophone for a very young age, and... At the time, I was like, I don't want to play this instrument. I'd rather be playing basketball outside. Why am I playing this? And, you know, my parents' response is, I don't care. <laughs> this is what's important. And the reality is that the lack of uh, a catechetical education doesn't just reflect upon the church wider. It reflects actually on Christian parents yeah. to their children. What do you actually value? Because let's just put this in academic terms. If... A parent knew that a certain number of courses was required to get their child into a good college. They don't ask questions on why I need to learn this. They say, you need to learn this. Mm. And they instill it and they enforce it upon them. Yes. And they keep enforcing it and keep saying, this is important. You need to know this, even if you don't get it right now. Much of that is true in Christian education. You know, a child is five, six years old and you're teaching about the Trinity and about the hypostatic union, I mean, again, the child would say, why do I need to know this? Why can't I just love Jesus? The answer to the parent, the answer that the parent should give is because it is important to know this and it will become more important as you get older. You must know this now because there are damning consequences if you don't. You don't get it now and that's okay because you're five, but we're looking at your life 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Knowing solid Christian truth is necessary. It is extremely necessary for a healthy Christian. Yes. And that's the kind of parental task that's at hand, is that the parents tell the child 
and inform the child by their actions what they value. Now, if a parent values college, academia, good job, good money, and say, you know, Christian doctrines, you know, hit or miss, what impression does that give to the child? They say, well, money, possessions, education, and teaching must be good, but Christian doctrine is, you know, it's the flavor of the month. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And so I think the perspective of a catechism in today's language, it's something that shouldn't just come from the actual pastors of the church. It has to come from the parents who are raising their child. If you think Christian doctrine is necessary for a healthy Christian, then you will basically practice this. You will and uh, impress that upon your children. So you just brought up something uh, which gives a good segue into Archbishop Usher's definition of what is catechizing. Uh, in his catechism, he actually asks, what is catechizing? <clears throat> in his Body of Divinity, written in 1645, so right, right there in the middle of the Westminster Assembly, this uh, Irish Archbishop um, writes... What is catechizing? Answer, a teaching by voice and repetition of the grounds of Christian religion. Mm. A teaching by voice and repetition of the grounds of Christian religion or the foundation of the Christian religion, right? Uh, then he asks, where should it be used and by whom? Mm. Both at home by the master of the house and in the church likewise by the minister. Mm. So there you go. House and church church and house he asks why at home because houses are the nurseries of the church amen so you so you have you have uh the the use of catechisms uh, in the reformed heritage both in the home and in the church and if if anything has fallen into disuse uh it has been both in some ways but more so used in the church Um, most probably in, in, in our own denomination would say they've never heard uh, a teaching series or an emphasis on the catechisms mm-hmm. within the life of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the Dutch Reformed tradition, it's instilled in their very uh, polity and liturgy yeah. that they yeah. preach through the Heidelberg Catechism on Sunday evenings and that it's an emphasis that they're always learning doctrine. Mm-hmm. But that is less and less the case uh, in my observation of, of all that's going on in our own denomination. And so we, we want to see that change. We want to see a, a renewal and revival of the use of the larger catechism in, in the life of our denomination. And um, if any pastors are listening to this, uh, we would encourage you to introduce the larger catechism into your Sunday school program. Yeah, absolutely. And we... We want Christians to understand that uh, doctrine is not something just for academics or for pastors uh, and elders. Doctrine is the very foundation of uh, of the faith. And to to say, you know, I, I just want to love Jesus, or you know, I just want to you know be a good Christian without knowing doctrine, it it really doesn't make sense at all because that's like telling someone else, you know, I want to have a relationship with you. I just never want to, I don't want to know anything about you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
you, if you, if you want to understand the importance of doctrine and of the sort of thing that the catechisms are bringing out and the confessions are bringing out, just start asking questions about your faith. Well, yeah, I mean, I love Jesus and, and I know Jesus loves me. Well, why? How do you know this? And why does Jesus love you? What has he done for you? And what does that mean? And those sorts of questions. And that's and if you begin to understand that those, those are very important questions, then you'll know that you need the right answers. And then you know that you have some wonderful tools that help you with that. What do you say to a, a person who walks up to you and says, I want to be your friend, but I don't really want to know you. I just want your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I just I want you to be available to, to help me when I have got some needs. But mm-hmm. I really don't want to know. I have no interest mm-hmm. in knowing you. It doesn't take a theologian to see that that's how often people treat God. Yeah. He's, he's there, no interest really in knowing him or spending mm-hmm. time with him. He's just uh, an opportunity to get stuff and to be there if we really need him, if mm-hmm. things are going bad. Yeah. Amen. If you want to know the Lord, uh, excuse me, if you want to love the Lord, you need to know him. Mm-hmm. And Kevin DeYoung uh, points out in his commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism that really the goal of catechesis, the goal of doctrine is to know God better and to love him more. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want. Yes. Amen. So if you are a member of Christ Church Presbyterian and uh, you have not at this uh, point made it a uh, uh, a priority to be at adult Sunday school on Sunday mornings at 9.30. We would warmly invite you to that as we uh, continue making our way through the Westminster Larger Catechism, uh, a a document written in the 1640s but has uh, just as much relevance uh, for the church today. Thank you so much for being with us, and we hope to be with you next time on Between the Times.